You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set up to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. Woohoo! This is episode 363. I'm your host, Andres Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hello. Hey son, hey son. The band is all together Woo. again. <laughs> all three of us. I think it's been a month, right? Since we yeah. were all the three of us. Probably. Yes. January was yes. crazy. <laughs> and can, yeah. you, can you tell that I'm not working at the moment? <laughs> Because I've been on all episodes for the, for the last month or so. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad we're paying you enough that you can skip work. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! Please keep, <laughs> g- please keep doing so. <laughs> <laughs> We're just paying you in thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and oh, prayers. More about you. that later. I'm actually recording on my new equipment, which was paid for by our supporters, for yes. which I'm very, very grateful. So thank you very much for that. That is thank great. you, big farmer. <laughs> <laughs> big farmer. So it's great, at least not having to pay to do this show. We, we never expect to get paid to do it. But it's nice that we can get our equipment without uh, yeah, having to right. dig into our own savings accounts. So, so thank you very much, dear patrons. Definitely, and I think it was probably a great present to to get this. And I think we all would like to give a present to Professor Edson Ernst, who t- turned seventy five this week. Wow! <laughs> Unbelievable! Great! Yeah. Yes. So he actually had a bit of a reflection on his his past and was wondering, like, does he regret things? Like, does he regret leaving Vienna where he had a very safe position? And he says, yeah, I have several regrets, but I would still do it all again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was great. Because that was the right thing to do. <laughs> it, it was really a right thing to do. We were all very happy that he did that and he had a... Yeah. This career that he's had, uh, he's done the the skeptic mm-hmm. movement such a big favor by just exactly. doing That's what right. he burns for, really, what mm-hmm. he really wants to do, and you know, having a big fight with um, somebody who later became a king. Well, it was probably not pleasant when it happened, but mm-hmm. it was yeah. uh, memorable, and it showed us who this Chuck the Third really is. Chuck the third. <laughs> nice. Chucky. And it's, it's probably too late to wish him a happy birthday, but uh, here's to many, many happy returns. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're waiting for the next book to come out. Yeah, one per year, he has promised. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I have to tell you something, guys, because I'm, yeah, I basically have too much time on my hands, as you may know, uh, as always. <laughs> As usually never. A couple of members of the Hungarian Skeptic Society and myself, we just recorded our first episode of no way. the Hungarian Skeptics Podcast. Woo. And it's not going to be called that. It's going to be like, okay, how is this again? <laughs> that's that's the title. <laughs> oh, um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. So, how does that uh, sound in Hungarian, please? Hodishvanes. A little bit slower, please. Hodishvanes. <laughs> Oh. Ah, okay, that'll be difficult. We will. So pra- it would be... We'll have to practice that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, but it, but it translates as "How is it again?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So I quite like that that title. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so how many are you doing this? Uh, four of us. Four mm-hmm. of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm doing the editing, so uh, I'm really grateful for you 
doing that I'll for, keep for doing the European editing, Skeptics yeah, Podcast. Yeah, when I can, at but least. But occasionally, of course, when you're unavailable, yeah. of course, yeah. I, w- I will still be able to do it, mm-hmm. as we usually do when you're otherwise engaged. Yeah. yeah. How, how often uh, will you release an episode? Is it's it going to be weekly? monthly at the monthly. beginning. No, okay. it's going to yeah, be that's monthly sensible. at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't do weekly. That's that's terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's not everyone is as crazy as we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you remember that originally we started out with a mm-hmm. bi-weekly podcast? And then... Yeah. It somehow ended up being a weekly one. Yeah, we, we, because we were it was too long between times, so that we missed yeah. it, and we want we yeah. wanted but there was too much to talk about. So we said, let's do it weekly. Yeah. yeah. All right, but concentrating on this podcast that we are doing right now, <laughs> very sensibly. Would, yes, do that. I would suggest <laughs> we do what we usually do, and the beginning of that is Twish, also known as This Week in Skeptical History. This week, we commemorate a very important person in the history of Hungarian skepticism. The country's best-known remote energy healer, (laughs) church founder, and very successful businessman, as a result of all this, of course. That is the late Józef Jurczok. He was born on January the 31st, 1951. Mm-hmm. He was an electrician by training and he started his career as such as well. Mm-hmm. But shortly after the, you know, the big opening of the free markets, after the political changes in the beginning of the 1990s, he started practicing quote unquote energy healing. Ooh. Remote uh, electricity or no, not that kind <laughs> yes, of energy. Something, something like that. And occasionally he claimed a couple of very weird things like... Uh, <laughs> The weirdest things that he said about how the energy is being transmitted through the television. He said that it's resonating at the frequency of 10 to the power of 50 hertz. What? And that is... (laughs) (laughs) Absolute nonsense. How you modulate the carrier wave with that? Uh, it's not like he discovered but it sounds like he discovered television like a natural phenomenon and just uh, had fantasies about how it worked i mean this is very well documented how it works yeah yeah yeah. and he should probably have known it but never mind oh could have it's just that if he didn't want to restrict himself by the knowledge that he gained as an electrician uh, but so th- this is how it started the the practice as an energy healer. And he claimed to have a lot of masters and gurus to learn from. But mostly he attributed his alleged gift of healing to God himself. Mm. And why, weirdly, why, why go with the middleman? Go for the yeah, top exactly. boss yeah. uh, direct. Straight That's from good. God. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but weirdly, <laughs> he also claimed to be like an old shaman. Ah. who uses the energy of of mother nature to heal. So there's a bit of a contrast there. I mean, yeah, God Yeah, but your contradictions never it, it's <laughs> never gets in the way of religion anyway. So contradictions yeah, are yeah. normal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then for this, you have to understand that Hungarian religious and folk traditions started to really take off in the 1990s as well. Mm. Funnily, alongside the rebirth of Christian faith after, of course, having been suppressed for decades under socialist rule, yeah. which was yeah, basically but that's not, uh, it's not to interrupt, but I think that's quite understandable because yeah. if people have not been allowed to exercise any kind of spiritualism for a long time, yeah, yeah. then they just go for everything. Yeah, exactly. And this is exactly what happened. So 
religious and folk traditions, they got mixed completely up and they were spreading like crazy back then. And he became a media personality as well around that time. And he had his own show on a channel called Budapest Television. Was it transmitted at 10 to the power of 50 megahertz <laughs> or whatever you said, or hertz? Hertz, hertz. Uh, but at, at that frequency, it's, it's almost all the same, whether it's t- 10 to the power of 50 hertz or megahertz it's is it a show for that yeah yeah that's matter. <laughs> it's probably a show for that bats, scale, isn't it, it? <laughs> so budapest tv was a regional channel with a significant reach and he offered remote healing for the first time there and of course it was offered to people calling in and that cost a lot of money so they were earning a shitload of money both him and the channel by scamming mostly of course elderly people so, so this was not state television but it was national. no it no it was regionally available okay. like around budapest so there's so, so his remote powers didn't no, go outside didn't. of the region <laughs> those powers didn't transcend over the region around budapest <laughs> but it was still so ridiculous and his show was the first of its kind in the country Later, it was followed by many. Some of them had a national countrywide reach as well, but he at first didn't. Obviously, it was only available around the region of Budapest, but at some point it had a larger reach because it was in the program of several providers, TV providers who Mm -hmm. offered a, a list of channels. So I could watch it. I'm sure TV you did as well. Home yeah. in Sekeshvahirvan. And obviously the skeptical community that I became a part of around the same time was absolutely furious about his claims and, and the fact that he scams the most vulnerable among all the people. So because of this, he got a, quite a lot of heat for basically practicing medicine without a license. That was a legal thing. It had legal implications as well. So in 1996, he went on establishing the Church of Universal Love yeah, distancing himself from the medical profession, obviously, where he could have been jailed for being a charlatan. Yeah. But with the Church of Universal Love, he basically went down the road of becoming an outright faith healer. And that's what he did in the small town of Kishmarosh. Was it the Church of Love or was it the Church of Love and Money? <laughs> well, love for money. Love for money. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. He offered private practice of faith healing as well at the town of Kishmarosh for about two decades on a little farm, obviously peddling the traditional Hungarian lifestyle as well. And for that, you have to understand the looks of his. He looked like when he crossed Santa Claus with <laughs> Steven Seagal. Okay. So he had a very distinctive look and very serious one as well. So, uh, yeah, I found him really intimidating in a way. And this is probably what happened with these elderly ladies he called in to his show as well. Uh, but then illness struck him as well. And his only illness, unfortunately, he could not fight. So he suffered uh, several strokes and then a heart attack killed him on the 11th of April 2017, which means that he was only 66 years old. Mm. So not very old. So Jozef Djurczak, whose birthday is on the 31st of January, was the first faith healer of Hungary. Are there more of them Unfortunately, now? yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. He showed that that was a good way to make a living. Yeah. Yeah, and there is one guy who took it even further, much further than that. Like, on TV, he offers virtual operations, like spinal manipulation virtually. And it's too bad that we are doing a podcast and and I cannot show it to all our (laughs) listeners. But imagine a guy 
just moving his hands up and down in front of the camera on a sideways, like both hands to each side. In the air? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yeah. in the air. And claiming that he's actually now operating virtually, remotely, on the spine of the person. And then he holds in his hands like a heating wire from a probably a washing machine or something. <laughs> and he's holding it in his hands and he keeps moving it and he's claiming to measure the level of health of the certain organs. Like he says, okay, now it's the liver, it's 10, 20, 30, 40%. And that goes on for minutes on end. Oh, fuck. Obviously, oh. the people paying a lot of money for that. <sighs> and uh, yeah, it was done by the same TV channel, by the way. <laughs> So yeah, it not? was what by one of his followers, the, the followers of Jozef Durchok. So yeah, and and once we went to a live debate. A very famous TV personality was for a while the president of the Hungarian Skeptics, and together with him, we went to this live debate where he debated Durchok, and they were on the stage. And when Durchok claimed that you know the ten to the power of fifty hertz resonance. Then Istvan, our president, he says, okay, Mr. Jurchok, do you know how television works? <laughs> and then imagine that Jurchok's followers jumped up off their chairs, started running towards the stage. Wow. Because they were so angry that they, were, they wanted to hurt Istvan. Yeah. If you can't win by argument, why don't you yeah. just punch them in the face? That's yeah, the so level we- of... Uh, intellect that these guys fortunately have. didn't end up happening but all but right, it good. was very scary it was very wow. scary all right yeah all right rest in peace <laughs> mr jurchuk <laughs> and yeah speaking of people who rest in peace we just lost recently a pope i mean a pope emeritus of sorts so let's see what's going on around the vatican so pontus would you mind poking the pope again yes i'd love to So I'm, I'm sure that listeners have noted that many times I poke the Vatican Church or Catholicism and not always Pope Francis as a person, that happens. And partly is that because Frankie is getting a bit slower over the years. After mm-hmm. all, he is getting old. Not always as active as he was, but this week Frankie is on the move again. Mm-hmm. As we record this, and still when this ap- episode airs, Frankie is on official apostolic. Oh, I'll have to take a breath. <laughs> apostolic journey to the Democratic Republic of Congo, followed to an ecumenical peace pilgrimage to the South Sudan. End quote. That's what peace it is. Pilgrimage. It yeah, sounds you, very you, aggressive. Yeah, you, you have to. You have to brand things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He he won't come back until the fifth of February, which I guess is on Sunday or so. When he travels like this, and I have mentioned this before, but when he travels like this, he goes together with journalists on a special chartered airplane. Yeah, it's like like when the American president travels, right? Yeah, all, like almost, but I don't one. think I don't think Frankie has his own airplane. I think he charters one ah, for each okay. for every separate ah. for every trip. But anyway, it's deemed a great honor and privilege to go with him, of course. Mm-hmm. But yeah. uh, these journalists don't get to follow along for free. In fact, the tickets apparently are so expensive that much of um, the trip itself for Frank is covered by the proceeds from the tickets. 
So that's good. That's a practical way of doing it. But in any case, it's good for us that it happens because then these journalists get to talk to him during the trip and that gives us an insight into his thinking. And sometimes he's... Well, it has happened before anyway that he says things that are off uh, script and maybe not uh, approved by the rest of the staff. Not so much this time, but on this trip, when the plane passed over the Sahara Desert, Frankie pointed out how many migrants die trying to cross the Sahara every year, fleeing from poverty or war, trying to get into Europe. They also We we hear a lot about how people are drowning in, in the Mediterranean, but they also perish in the desert. So he asked all the journalists to pray for them with him as they flew over the desert. Maybe, I mean, I don't know if they waved at the skeletons there, but they were flying over the desert and they were praying. And there's two takes on this. The first one is, of course, it's very good that he reminds us and the rest of the world of this problem and the tragedy of it. The other take is that praying itself doesn't do anything. I'm not sure anybody has told him that, but if praying would have worked, we would have seen results ages ago. Uh, So it accomplishes nothing. And actually, on the contrary, it may be counterproductive. Imagine that you are a believer and you hear about this. Uh, You hear about Frankie praying for this. What you should do is really to send money and help to charity organizations or, or do something tangible. But if you believe in prayer... You will just pray and then you go to bed happy that you did something. But you haven't done anything. But you now have a clear conscience and you can ignore the problem. So I think that's one of the problems with I'm sending my thoughts and prayers. It doesn't do anything, but it gives the false impression that you did something that could help. And and it doesn't help. Well, anyway, there is another thing this week and people may have heard of this. Um, Frankie talked about homosexuality again. He does that once in a while. And he got praised for being such a progressive pope. In fact, some hailed his comments as a milestone in the church position and hallelujah and all of that. In fact, it was such a riveting statement that he had to clarify his words, not just once, but twice so far. Maybe he'll do it again. Well, I can tell you I'm not so impressed. What he said was that homosexuality should not be a crime. Great. So far, I'm with him. I agree. Yep. As a side note, I also strongly feel that no religion should have any input on legal matters of any kind. Mm-hmm. That's my take. Because the realm of religion is about imaginary stuff, and so it shouldn't have any bearing on the law or anything else that is real. Anyway, that's beside the point. Because this is not all he said. He pointed out several times that even if homosexuality shouldn't be against the law, and he was very clear on that, he also said it is still a sin, quote-unquote. He had to clarify that later because it wasn't clear the first time if he meant being gay is a sin or having gay sex is a sin. So this is very much in line with previous statements. What he meant and what he clarified was that being gay is fine as long as you don't act on it, right? Because acting on it is a sin and God cannot accept that. And his later clarification sounds very much like a catch-22. What he should have said, he clarified, is that all sexual activity outside marriage is a sin. So that implies that he's not discriminating anyone, right? It's just not (laughs) fine to do it outside of the marriage. But since he has ruled out marriage of same-sex couples... 
then if you're gay, you're you're screwed. Ah. And not in the fun sense of the word. So if you happen to be born gay, no sex for you. You cannot do something that is totally harmless and part of being a perfectly normal human being. It's just tough luck for you. And this whole thing had people celebrate how progressive Frankie is. Mm -hmm. But Mm. that is for a pope, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I can't understand that standard. Why do we have a separate standard for popes than for other people? It's like saying he's such a nice guy compared to others who have been uh, head of this evil club, right? But, (laughs) yeah, okay, maybe, but he's still head of an evil club. It's still bad, and uh, there's really no excuse that others have been even worse. So I know people don't expect this out of a pope. I'm saying we should expect it. We should raise our expectations. We should expect Frankie to be a decent human being, even though he happens to be the head of a, well, pedophile club, some people says. But that's another story we can take another time. I'm I'm not in favor of different standards for different people. It's just I'm in favor of acknowledging progress. Yeah. So saying something like this was unimaginable previously within the realms of the Catholic Church, right? It's true. So I think one of the ways to get through to people, especially to people with faith, is if we are ready to acknowledge that there has been a little bit of progress. That's my opinion. That's right. But I can also say, okay, Frankie, welcome to the 1960s, right? This is when we started (laughs) to be a little bit more humane in what we thought about other people's sexual preferences. As long as it doesn't hurt anyone, it's all consensual and everybody is happy with it. Why should we care what people do in their bedroom? Don't be surprised that he's stuck in the 1960s. It's about that time that he stopped being a man and started being a cleric. Yeah. So I think it was in the 60s firstly. he was be- he became a priest. I, I can't remember yeah, yeah. by heart, but I think it was in the 60s. So I I, I think you're spot on with yeah. that. Like yeah. night, welcome right. to the but 1960s. Why, why did We're he check out? Why did he check out from the rest of society <laughs> in know. 1960s something? And yeah, well anyway. You know by what I way, feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, getting back to the people trying to get through the Mediterranean, mm. uh, there was one thing that I'd like to say about him and his participation. Mm-hmm. In the the way that he can still have an effect, even though he doesn't put money where his mouth is. In Noto, have you have you ever been to Noto in Sicily? No. It's a beautiful Baroque-style town after the 1693 earthquake. It was de- it was completely destroyed the whole town, and they rebuilt it in the Baroque style. Beautiful. And the Cathedral of Noto has... Um, now it's a permanent exhibition. It used to be... It was originally intended for just, just a temporary one, but it became a permanent one, and I believe it was opened by Frankie. Mm-hmm. Could it be. was crosses built out of the pieces of wreckage of boats Mm. that were brought to shore by the current of the Mediterranean. So it's a reminder of those people, those lives that were lost while trying to cross the Mediterranean and get into the world they wanted to be in, in a free world, the European world. And um, his opening was very well attended. And as far as I know, a lot of money was put after that into some charities 
that were helping these refugees. Mm. So not by the Catholic Church, but by the people. So he can point towards these organizations and say that help them because they help these people. It was indirect as an indirect effect, but it was an effect that he had yeah. on on this. Yeah, you know, I, I know that Francis has taken quite a good view, or good view, but it, it's a positive yeah. attitude towards helping refugees yeah. in the Mediterranean. There's something he burns for, and and that is, I have nothing bad to say about yeah. Frankie in that yeah, yeah. respect. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for poking the Pope once again, even though it's a sin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not a crime, though, so you can do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But let's see what's happening across Europe these days. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to talk about a doctor who might not deserve that name (laughs) or that title. Mm -hmm. Um, She's from Powys in Wales. And she has now been put under a nine-month ban for false claims. And no, you're not in the really wrong section yet. <laughs> stay tuned. But yeah, exactly. Stay tuned for that. But uh, she she probably would deserve a prize because uh, she's a private doctor who claims that you only need to take certain vitamins and other substances in high doses, and then you um, can't get infected by COVID nineteen oh, or can ma- treat it. How oh. many times do we have to listen to, to people mm-hmm, saying that? Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> Yes. And of course, that's dangerous. It's undermining public health, has potential for serious harm and potentially fatal toxicity, as the Tribunal mm. of Medical Practitioners found. So they, like, they had a hearing and they decided that she can't practice for nine months now. On the one hand, these substances she promoted are not universally safe. They have potential to cause serious risks, but they also have no evidence to suggest that they would be effective. So they're dangerous and they do not do mm-hmm. not work. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, Sarah Myhill, that's the name <laughs> of, of the doctor, she also discredited the use of face masks. So the tribunal then, of course, found that she doesn't practice evidence-based medicine. And that means... She shouldn't practice. Interestingly, she had a year-long ban previously lifted. (laughs) Oh my god, how many chances do you get? Mm -hmm, Exactly, I was (laughs) like, yeah... Why Why should we give more chances to people like that? Before she claimed that she was a pioneer in the treatment of chronic fatigue syndrome and also put a patient with a potentially fractured hip totally at risk by not taking them to the, pract- uh, to the hospital. Wow. So, yeah, um, definitely not fit to practice at the moment. They will hopefully be on her case and, um, yeah, just see if if she should practice in nine months again or just wait until she does another deed and (laughs) you know Uh, yeah i hope how many strikes do you get when do they just i almost said defrock but that's because i always talk about the the catholic church (laughs) what's the word you de-doctor somebody (laughs) you de-white coat someone (laughs) yeah yeah you you kick them out of the the medical council Mm -hmm. i think but as we know with wakefield that takes a fair bit well with Wakefield I think the reason why it took so long was because it took so long to uncover the truth about mm-hmm. yeah how how it is so by the time Brian Deere collected all the all the details and published it a long time had elapsed yeah. mm-hmm. a little bit of a teaser 
It may take a month or so, but I may have some news about Brian Deere. Ooh. Oh, okay. Hopefully good news. Yeah, yes. <laughs> okay, good, 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 good. Yeah. good. yeah, let's stay in the UK for a while. Let's now stay that we mentioned Brian Deere as well. <laughs> yeah, stay in the UK. Do you remember when we interviewed His Awesomeness, the brilliant Richard Wiseman, on episode 190? I remember hearing the episode when you did it. I didn't oh, get to yeah, I did. participate. <laughs> I also didn't. I wasn't around that <laughs> the time. You know what? I just remember, but I actually did it in his house. <laughs> yes, right, right. That was the, the, I visited uh, the moon shot. What was it called? The, the book? Shoot for the Moon. Shoot, Shoot for, for the, the moon. moon book. Brilliant yeah. book. Yeah, yeah. Very good book. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we recorded the interview in his house in Edinburgh. Well, I think when I asked him back then what he was working on, and he kind of hinted at something that was to become a series of magic-themed comics with the title Hocus Pocus, Magic, Mm. Mystery, and the Mind. So obviously, he's also a magician, not only a brilliant psychologist and researcher. He wanted to put together a collection of stories that include a bit of information on magic, stage magic, and paranormal, and the investigation into all that, and how psychology has something to say about it. But he wanted to put it into a comic form, and he teamed up with a brilliant team of people who did exactly that. Jordan Culver, an artist, Rick Worth, who became the writer of that project, and Owen Watts, who did the coloring. So they published a series, uh, well, five comics were published in the series, and uh, it was so successful that they were even nominated for the Eisner Awards. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that is the most... That is called the Academy, the equivalent of the Academy Awards for comics. Oh, really? So that's it's that prestigious. And uh, now a publisher, Vanishing Inc., decided to publish it in the form of a book, all five of these comics. Mm. So it was just announced, actually, on the day of our recording of the podcast. So it's fresh out of the presses, people. Yeah, it looks like a very good kind of publication that every skeptic should have on their shelves. Strange but true tales Mm. about scientific discovery and exploration of the unknown. Yeah, from a skeptical point of view. Must be awesome. I want to have it. And... (laughs) um, (laughs) as a special bonus for um, as long as the supplies last there will be a one of a kind hiding the elephant puzzle as well and by hiding the elephant i think it's a reference to jim steinmeier's book hiding the elephant where he explains how magicians basically came up with a lot of things that, that really look impossible to pull off and they can still do it like disappearing or making large animals and large objects disappear. It's amazing stuff. So, yeah, I really want to get my hands on one of these Hocus Pocus copies. It's a, it's a hardback copy, so it's a, it really looks good as well. So I just I can only recommend it to everyone, even though I haven't read it. Are you sure yeah, that it will not just be a set of blank pages when they have a publisher called <laughs> Vanishing Ink? <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> This could be the greatest scam ever in the book. I don't know. I don't know. But the comics are really a great success. So if it's really the collection of the comics, even if it's written with vanishing ink, (laughs) I'm really intrigued. All right. Okay, let's travel up north to Finland and Sweden for a second here. Let's do that. 
Sometimes there's a story that it's not quite easy to wrap your head around. We've mentioned the stupid right-wing Rasmus Paludan before. He is the Danish-Swedish so-called quote-unquote politician, whose main political, if you want to call it that, career is to go around burning the Quran in public. Just because he knows that'll unsettle people and it'll be riots and, and stuff like that. He did it last year and he also did it again in Stockholm. I think it was just over a week ago. And this time it also became part of the infected relations between Sweden and Turkey. Because Turkey takes any chance to sabotage Sweden's uh, application to join NATO. Mm -hmm. And uh, Turkey is the only country left who needs to sign to let Sweden and Finland join. And uh, they see this, Turkey see this as a hate crime against all Muslims. And uh, for the Swedish government to allow this is uh, a scandal, they say. In Sweden, it's part of freedom of speech to criticize religion. I approve of that. So um, it is not easy, as you may think, to stop this Paludan guy from doing his nonsense. Now, this, of course, concerns Finland, too, because Finland and Sweden have stated that their applications are together. They want to join NATO as well, at the same time together. So when stupid Erdogan stops Sweden because of stupid Paludan, Finland is left on hold as well. So, of course, the developments are closely followed in Finland as well. And uh, here we have another wrinkle. The Finnish Security Service, or Skypo. I, I think that's nice. S-K-Y-P-O. So, Skypo. It's a nice name. Well, anyway, th <laughs> that's the, the security service. They have now come out and said that they anticipate that this Paludan clown's uh, shenanigans could inspire people also in Finland to do the same thing. But they say... Burning the Quran in Finland would never be allowed because they have heresy laws in place. And here is where my mind gets uh, confused and cross-eyed and <laughs> because I don't <laughs> think that Paludan has any legitimate reason to do what he's doing. But heresy laws? That's not the way to go. I, I, you should be allowed to criticize and mock religion. I fully support that. But here we go and uh, I don't know which leg to stand on. Yeah, that, that, that's how it is. We don't know how this will end. Uh, at least there will not be burning Qurans in Finland anytime soon. And I think we will also have to wait a while before Sweden and Finland gets approved to join NATO. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Maybe people wonder where I stand on the side of NATO. But it's a little bit beside mm -hmm. the, the subject of this podcast. But the short answer is I'm not, I, I don't really enjoy the idea of joining NATO. But on the other hand, Sweden has pretended for almost, four, well, for 100 years or so, uh, if you go back to First and Second <laughs> World War as well. They, we have pretended up here to be neutral, which has never really been true. So it's sort of a hypocrisy that is uh, rather shameful, especially w what happened during the Second World War. So it's better to be honest with where we as a country stand. And uh, we have collaborated with NATO for a long time. So we can just as well do it yeah. openly instead of uh, do it in secret. But not as I said, not, yeah. not to mention the significant weapons industry in both Sweden and Finland. 
by yeah, the way. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> so it's yeah. being impartial but, and being independent is a but, uh, is, but that, is an to, interesting thing. To be thing. honest, that ha- that is linked to the pretense of being neutral, right? So if we yeah. if we want to be neutral, we also we don't want to be depending on other countries' military that's, that's right. technology. So we have to build our own. But yeah. But it helps to be in good relationship with them so yeah. that they will buy the manufactured goods <laughs> as well. <laughs> the Hungarian Air Force operates with uh, Gripens as well. So oh, really? Yeah. Saab so Gripens, the Swe- yeah. Swedish uh, airplanes, yeah, or the... The, the fi- fighters. Fighter planes. Fighter yeah. jets. They used to operate uh, MiG-29s, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, they got, uh, well, retired. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I feel like we're in this great narrative car of the ESP and now this car has to take a sharp U-turn because we're now talking about the John Maddox Prize. (laughs) Yeah. The John Maddox Prize is a prize that that is a joint initiative of the charity uh, Science About Science and the leading international scientific journal Nature. So we talked about it before. It has been awarded annually since uh, 2012 and is all in all a just wonderful thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just wanted to add that it's an important part of the John Maddox Prize that yes. uh, these people do it even against very, very hard pushback mm-hmm. because these people sometimes face a lot of aggression towards them mm-hmm. for doing so, for trying to convey the message of well, critical thinking and science and and all that. Mm-hmm. And one of one of the awardees, many of whom we admire and like and and know personally as well, one of the awardees was Ernst. Ernst. Mm, that's so, true. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so the nominations are now open. That's really exciting. And of course, you should address a few questions like. What science does the person you nominate communicate? On what issue? How do they engage with others in the discussion? Are there any challenges or barriers? What impacts are there? And so on and so on. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting. We, of course, will put the link in the show notes. Mm. And of course, it's international. So even though I think the nature is published in the UK as well, and uh, the sense about science is located in the UK, it's an international prize. There have been awardees from all over the world. Okay, speaking of international stuff and uh, and things all over the world, I'd like to mention something here that is published on a yearly basis by Transparency International, and it's regarding something that is called the Corruption Perceptions Index, or CPI. You don't want to and win that competition. <laughs> well, <laughs> it depends, because the higher the number, the higher the score... Oh, the better it is. Okay. The better the situation is. So, All right, yeah, in that know, case, in a way, I do you want, want to win. To. Yeah. In, a, in a way, you want to. And almost, you're almost there, coming from Sweden, I have yeah. to say. But it, yeah, let's not run that far ahead. <laughs> so um, the 2022 results have just been published just right hot of the presses as well. And it's an interesting kind of research that is put into it because the reports that the scores are based on, they are put together by expert assessments, experts who who make assessments on the certain countries from different points of view, and opinion polls are used as well. And 180 countries are included in that report. Basically, what it's all about is, and, and I quote, the abuse of entrusted power for private gain. 
But what you need to look for when you try to put together a score for a certain country as to how corrupt they are is how well the checks and balances work and how the separation of powers are there. And the next thing, I think it's the most important from a skeptical point of view, because it has to do with the free access to accurate and meaningful information by public resources. So by accurate and meaningful information, it's our turf. It's the thing that we live and die for. It's the correct information that is available to everyone. Regulation of lobbying, transparency of decision-making processes is also a thing, and how well they combat transnational forms of corruption. So these are the things that are assessed. If the score is zero, it means the country is fully corrupt. I, I don't even know how to how to interpret that. <laughs> if it's a hundred, then it's completely clean of corruption. So it's a utopian idea anyway. So right, but but yeah. interestingly, there are countries who get very close to that. And that's amazing. Unfortunately, the global average hasn't changed for over a decade. It's at 43 out of 100. 43? It means that 43. <laughs> that doesn't sound so high. It doesn't sound high. And that means that there is a lot to do when it comes to, to fighting corruption all over the world. But the European region scores much higher than that on average. So the European region is at 66. And uh, well, globally, unfortunately, the trend is that some countries are sliding down the slope unfortunately, mm -hmm. and some countries are gaining higher points. So uh, let's see what's going on in Europe, since we are a European podcast. The highest of the score, but not only in Europe, but internationally, goes to Denmark. So they get 90 points out of 100. Mm -hmm. Finland gets 87, and Norway gets 84. And ooh, I, I, I forgot to look it up, but I think it was 83 for Sweden. So I want to well know. I don't. I want to know who to bribe to get a hundred. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, Transparency International, please. Uh, okay. <laughs> you, have to, you have to find them. And um, well, traditionally, it's it's the eastern part of Europe that is most corrupt, right? That is because uh, from the socialist era, unfortunately, we bring with us a kind of mental state that allows for that. And we are not very proud of that, but we have to fight it very actively. But unfortunately, Southern Europe doesn't do that well either. But unfortunately, the big problem is that Hungary is now, as we in Hungary say, under the ass of the frog. Uh <laughs> <laughs> So very, very low down. And Hungary is 27th out of the 27 European countries now Ooh. with a score of 42. That mm -hmm. means that Hungary is more corrupt than the world average, which is very low to start with. Uh, hmm. And that's because basically all the checks and balances have been taken away. So there are no checks and balances anymore. And the separation of powers is not virtually non-existent. Hmm. It was a slow decrease in the, the, the score for Hungary in the last decade or so. But unfortunately... Oh, and But we were always saying that, oh, we were still ahead of Romania and Bulgaria. Not anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, and we score 24 points below the European average, which is shameful, 
Shame on us. Shame on everyone who doesn't fight corruption because corruption completely derails the normal way of working of a society. Yeah, let's mm. not do that. Sorry to bring down the mood with that uh, <laughs> kind of news, but it's good news for you, Pontus, and it's good news for you, Annika, as well, because in Europe, Germany finished fifth mm-hmm. out of the 27 with right. the, the fifth highest score. Pretty well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but speaking of bringing down the mood, let's find out who's been really wrong lately, apart from Hungary and Hungarian people for allowing that to happen. <laughs> Yeah, and this doctor who we talked about before. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yes, I want to talk about a private school that uh, has received a very bad Ofsted report. Mm. So for those who don't know, the Ofsted report is a rating system that, and it stands for Office for Standards in Education. It's of the UK and checks if children are properly educated. And mm-hmm. this school teaches, for example, I'll just give you a few examples. Um, they teach creationism as fact. Their mm. science lessons contain no references to sexual reproduction or scientific theories for the origin of life. <laughs> um, yikes. Then, as you can gain from that, sex education was extremely limited, with all parents exercising their right to uh, withdraw <laughs> at secondary level. And there was no career advice or guidance. So pupils were just expected to go to seminary after leaving school or, yeah, they didn't really think about that <laughs> or didn't, didn't, yeah, didn't give them anything in their hands to, to go on. And that means they should be criticized for that. The thing is, the problem is that although this is very alarming, many private schools very continually fail to meet the standards and there's not much action taken, there's not much happening then. This is really bad. (laughs) They even censored images in textbooks that were deemed not to be in line with the traditions and religious teaching of the Jewish faith. And uh, even if you take away the whole religious saga behind that, you're just also not a good school because you're not preparing your students. <laughs> no. Religion should not uh, try to be part of yeah. education. Exactly. It never ends well. What, what was the name of this school? It's called the, I guess it's Benoit or Benoist Jerusalem Girls School in North London. Uh-huh. Okay. And yeah, if you give... Uh, women, young women, no sex education, mm, you know. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? Yeah. So for not preparing their students for life and for teaching creationism as a fact, for just being in general a school that doesn't fulfill its purpose, the Benoit Jerusalem Girls School in North London receives this week's prize for being really wrong. Boo! I mean, yeah. like, I, I agree with the price, but boo to the school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, this is, again, well-deserved. Thank you very much for that, Annika. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of the episode. But before we go, we need a quote. Yes, and to commemorate his birthday this week, I, of course, got a quote by Professor Edzard Ernst. Mm, 
We quoted him on episode 292 and on episode 349 before. Not often enough. Exactly. <laughs> not, and also not with that quote. <laughs> okay. But with someone who writes a book every year, he, there he just produces. Very quotable. Yeah. yeah, he's a very quotable, very good person in that regard. So he won't, it, well, this won't be the last quote. But the quote is... We should listen less to the opinions of those who either overtly promote or stubbornly reject complementary and alternative medicine without acceptable evidence. The many patients who use complementary and alternative medicine deserve better. Yes. Patients and healthcare providers need to know which forms are safe and effective. Its future should and hopefully will be determined by unbiased scientific evaluation. Hear, hear. Here, here. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he really nailed more. it on the the patients deserve better. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Always evidence that should be mm -hmm. driving our judgment. Exactly. Especially for skeptics. Mm -hmm. And since this is the message that we try to convey, we should really stick to that. Mm-hmm. And we will be sticking to producing this show, but this episode is coming to an end. So I'd like to thank both of you, Annika and Pontus, for joining me today. Thank you. <laughs> thanks a lot. Many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Vislat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe set out to bring you news, interesting topics, and interviews. <laughs> Start again. <laughs> I'm doing you a favor, Pontus. <laughs> do it faster. <laughs> do, my, do a favor faster. <laughs> Born in the US. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, Rasmus Paludun. <laughs> Paludun. Mm -hmm. Rasmus Paludan. <laughs> What signs does uh, the nominee nom <laughs> does the nominee communicate? Sorry, I do it again. Sorry, oh, we just got Luna. Luna. Hello, Luna. Hello, Luna. Genau, der Pontus. Hey. Und der Andras. Hello. Our names are changing. Have you noticed, Pontus? Richard is nicht da, Schätzchen. Claire. Claire auch nicht. All right. <laughs> she still remembers all of us. Nice. Yeah, yeah podcast. Sag nochmal podcast. Wow. <laughs> That's close enough. <laughs>
<laughs> She's using the microphone as a telephone. Yes. Doesn't really work, but... Just, uh, nope. 